What is going on, everybody? My name is John Solo, and there is more to Mama Odie than meets the eye. A few months ago, we talked about the real-world inspiration for who I think is one of Disney's most underrated villains, Dr. Facilier from Princess and the Frog. See, Facilier was a voodoo doctor. His ultimate goal was to steal the LaBeouf family fortune, and the evil plan he put together to accomplish this borrowed from the voodoo religion and actual voodoo practices. But he's not the only voodoo practitioner we see in this movie. On the opposite side of the morality spectrum, we have Mama Odie, the voodoo queen of the bayou, who, by the way, was originally written as Facilier's mother. She offers sanctuary to our heroes, Tiana and Prince Naveen, and using magic of her own, she figures out how to break the blood curse that turned them both into frogs. I know, a pretty impressive accomplishment, but just like Dr. Facilier, she too had help from her friends on the other side, voodoo spirits called Loco and Dembala you're gonna learn all about. Then we're gonna give some spotlight to the New Orleans natives who inspired her design, the real life voodoo queen Marie Laveau and Renaissance woman Colleen Smalley. If you stay until the end of this video, you're gonna learn a whole lot more about the worlds of voodoo and New Orleans, and that's pretty cool. So settle in as we dive into the messed up origins of Mama Odie. Chapter one, Mama's Magic, Hoodoo versus Voodoo. If you were feeling confident about your voodoo knowledge after watching our episode on Dr. Facilier, I've got some news for you. There's a whole different dimension of voodoo that we haven't even touched on yet. It's called hoodoo. And no, I did not make that up. Louis the Alligator even says it himself when talking about Mama Odie. She got magic and spells. All kind of hoodoo. But that begs the question, what is the difference between voodoo and hoodoo? Lucky for us, the answer is actually kind of simple for once. You see, despite the way it's portrayed in pop culture, voodoo is a real religion and not evil by design. It's actually an evolution of the West African Vodun religion after it was brought to the Caribbean and United States via the slave trade and then thrown in a blender with Christianity, America's favorite pastime. While there are different kinds of voodoo and specific rituals can vary from person to person, there are organized institutions complete with leaders, teachings, and rituals. This officially established system is what it's practitioners all connect to, and practices like communicating with spirits in the unseen world, making sacrifices to them, and using talismans are all part of that system. Hoodoo, on the other hand, is not a religion. It's often affiliated with voodoo, but is considered folk magic with no established rules. In other words, it's a more personal power that can be based on your desires, your interests, and your habits. It can also be used to either improve or destroy someone's life whatever your inclination happens to be. The reason this is all relevant is that despite Mama Odie being the voodoo queen of the bayou, the magic that she uses in the movie is a lot closer to hoodoo. For example, her use of transfiguration. She transforms certain items into others and even her snake Juju into other animals, which is not a skill that voodoo priestesses in the real world are known for having. And while the rest of her magic would technically be considered hoodoo because basically any magic that African-American folk characters uses falls under that definition, even the other feats we see her perform in the movie actually go beyond traditional hoodoo. Things like speaking to animals, conjuring objects out of thin air, and fighting off Facilier's minions with her magic wand, it would be more accurate to place these in the category of fairy godmother magic, a common component of Disney movies. To put it simply, fairy godmother magic has no connection to organized religion or spirituality and consists of whatever is necessary to move the plot forward. Things like Cinderella's fairy godmother, Bippity Boppity Booping the Pumpkin into a Carriage, and the fairies in Sleeping Beauty making the cake for Aurora's birthday. 
On the one hand, it's not very surprising that the writers would make Mama Odie rely on fairy godmother magic since she is no doubt filling that archetypal role in Tiana's story, but you can't deny that it's weird that the voodoo queen of the bayou doesn't actually use any voodoo on screen. She gets kind of close when she uses her gumbo pot like a crystal ball and asks it how to turn Tiana and Naveen human again, but that kind of magic is more commonly found in European folklore. It would be a lot more accurate to voodoo if she had made a sacrifice to the spirits and then use the pot to communicate with them and ask for the solution directly. Kind of like how Facilier communicates with his Loa through the masks hanging up in his emporium. Then again, you could argue that's exactly what was happening in this scene and the spirits simply answer her question by conjuring a vision in the gumbo. But if Mama Odie is indeed working with voodoo spirits, we've got to figure out specifically which ones. Chapter 2, Mama's Loa, The Serpent and the Tree. There is no denying that Mama Odie has a strong personality. As such, the voodoo spirit she works with, also known as Loa, would reflect that personality. And in my opinion, one of her most distinct characteristics is her connection with nature. She lives in a tree in the middle of the bayou, has a snake draped around her neck most of the time, and can coordinate an entire ensemble of flamingos into a synchronized dance routine. Unlike her magic, this appreciation for nature is very reflective of voodoo culture. Its practitioners don't even like to cut down trees because they believe them to be inhabited by spirits, or loa. One such loa is Loco, the protector of the woods. As his title implies, Loco is a helpful loa with good intentions, meaning he'd be considered a rada loa. On the flip side of that coin, you'll find the petro loa, which are thought of as volatile and hot-tempered. These are the loa that Dr. Facilier worked with and made the grave mistake of pissing off. Back to Loco, the element of nature he's most associated with is trees, which as I pointed out, Mama Odie literally lives in. Loco is also the patron god of healing and is said to be the source of the curative abilities that certain herbs and tree leaves possess. Voodoo doctors always make sure to sacrifice to him before performing any treatment, usually in the form of a black or white goat or an oxen. Said offering is then wrapped up in a little sack and hung from the branches of a tree, which bears a strong resemblance to the bottles hanging from Mama Odie's branches. Sadly for us, there isn't much art depicting Loco in his physical form, but he's often described as a butterfly with a servant that follows him around and smokes a pipe. The other Loa she likely works closely with is Dambala, the serpent god of lightning and rain. And the reason we say that is because of her close relationship with her pet serpent, Juju, which, fun fact, is the word for the spiritual belief system that incorporates objects like talismans into voodoo religious practice. Juju is basically Mama Odie's assistant, helping her constantly with tasks around the home, which is located in his ideal environment, a tree within a swamp. Very similarly, Timbala is said to spend his time in trees, rivers, springs, and marshes. Another funny similarity is that neither Juju nor Dimbala are great communicators. Juju only ever listens and never speaks, meanwhile Dimbala doesn't bother with speaking because he's so wise that we humans can't understand him anyway. Instead of communicating an exact message, his mere presence radiates comfort and fills the people surrounding him with optimistic energy. Now, to be clear, we're not claiming that Dambala is literally Juju, but it would make perfect sense if he chose to possess Juju from time to time to guide and give assistance to Mama Odie, one of his oldest and most faithful worshipers. After all, she does claim to be 197 years old at one point. Since Princess and the Frog takes place in 1926, that places her birth around 1729, 
when voodoo and hoodoo were first being developed in the southern U.S. So if Dambala was going to regularly check in with anyone, Mama Odie would be a great candidate. Chapter 3, Mama's Inspiration Disney has a long history of basing their iconic characters off historical and cultural figures with even more iconic personalities, and Mama Odie is no exception. If you were to look up Moms Mabley, Marie Laveau, or Colleen Sally, you would see right away elements of Mama Odie reflected in each of them. But who exactly are these women, and what makes them so special that Disney used them for inspiration? Well, let's start with Jackie Moms Mabley. She was one of the earliest African-American women to make a name for herself in the world of comedy after joining the vaudeville circuit at the very young age of 14. She would tell jokes, sing songs, and had an energy about her that people all over the country couldn't get enough of, regardless of their culture or creed. And she continued to find success in showbiz throughout her entire life. She doesn't have any connections to the voodoo world or New Orleans, but the actress who played Mama Odie, Jennifer Lewis, based her performance on Mabley's stage persona. And if you watch just a few seconds of her stand-up, you'll see the resemblance immediately, complete with missing teeth. I ain't got nowhere to eat. I ain't got nowhere to sleep. Say, Mama, I ain't got nothing but this gun. <laughs> Another powerhouse of personality who inspired Mama Odie is Colleen Smalley. She was an author, scholar, Mardi Gras queen, and one of New Orleans' most prolific local celebrities. The field research team at Disney actually went so far as to hire Smalley for her consulting services when they visited New Orleans to learn more about the city and its rich history. In fact, Mama Odie's line, You Ain't Got the Sense You Was Born With, comes directly from Smalley's book, and she received special thanks in the movie's credits alongside Leah Chase, a famous New Orleans restaurateur who inspired the Tiana character. But there is one woman who stands out among these three as the most influential over Mama Odie. In fact, without her, the character might not even exist. Her name was Marie Laveau, and she was the real-life voodoo queen. Now, to those wondering how exactly one becomes a voodoo queen, you'll be interested to learn that Marie's gift, her connection with African spirituality, ran in the family. Not only was she the granddaughter of a powerful voodoo priestess, but her mother was a known practitioner as well. But there's more to her story than that. Marie was born a free woman of color in colonial New Orleans, where she stayed her entire life. As an adult, she had several children with a French nobleman whose name almost gave me an aneurysm. And in order to create some economic stability for herself and her family, Laveau became a hairdresser. It was during her time as a hairdresser that Laveau realized she had a real knack for getting people to open up to her about their problems. Whether they were black, white, or somewhere in between, her clients felt safe venting their frustrations to her. And it was this side gig as a part-time therapist that put Laveau on the path to become voodoo royalty. As I said, Laveau had clients of all races and social classes, which meant some of her black clients who were house servants would divulge personal information about the white folks they worked for. This created the illusion that Laveau had supernatural insight, and because of her gift, her wealthy clients would often pay for her advice about their marital issues, finances, childbearing, and would make special requests for protection against evil energy, which is awfully similar to the people who would seek out Mama Odie's services. But don't get it twisted, Marie wasn't trying to con these people or disrespect the voodoo religion. 
She always gave them the best advice she could without revealing her sources and used real voodoo practices that her mother had taught her. Then, after her mother died, Marie was drawn even further into the voodoo religion and was educated in its ways by a well-known root worker named Dr. John. Hey, that's what my parents could have called me if I wasn't such a disappointment. After going through this schooling, the services she offered were taken to the next level. She would host ceremonies in her own backyard where she'd conjure the spirit of the deity I mentioned earlier, Dembala, who would manifest through Marie's pet snake that she always wore around her neck. Yet another similarity she has with Mama Odie. There is one big difference between these queens though. Mama Odie is almost 200 years old, while Marie Laveau passed away in 1881 around the age of 80. Though, to be fair, eternal life wasn't traditionally part of the voodoo repertoire. As one would expect, her body was buried in the city she lived her entire life, New Orleans, specifically St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. And to this day, her grave receives regular visits from her fans and supporters who've made it tradition to draw an X on Marie's tomb to make a wish. I'm not sure if that's still a thing, though. Nowadays, the general public can't access this part of the cemetery without a tour guide on account of how many times her grave has been vandalized not counting the exes people marked on it. In 1982, the punk rock band The Misfits were arrested for allegedly trying to dig up Marie Laveau's body after one of their concerts, which is just ridiculous. And in 2013, someone spray painted her tomb with pink latex paint. I have no idea what would compel that piece of human garbage to desecrate a grave like that, but if the voodoo gods are real, you can be sure the perpetrator suffered a similar fate as Dr. Facilier. Thank you all for tuning in to the Messed Up Origins podcast. We're posting episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So don't forget to sacrifice the five-star and follow buttons to the algorithm gods to make sure they bless your feed with more mythological and folklore content. If you have any thoughts on this episode you'd like to share, like if you really enjoyed it or are dying to correct my pronunciation of something, hit me up under the Messed Up Origins handles on Twitter and Instagram. And to those who are craving more Messed Up Origins, feel free to check out other episodes of the podcast or look up my YouTube channel called John Solo to experience the original episodes complete with visual aids and custom-made artwork. Until next time, Solo fam, my name is John Solo, and don't forget, John shot first. Thank you.